0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading.
1: Here we go, John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. I don't, don't you love this, that, yeah, the normal life is happening. It's not only ministry. They're, they're human beings. They're part of families in the Jewish society there in the land of Israel. So, verse 3, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. You can imagine Jesus is saying, Okay, this is not my wedding. Uh, I'm not in charge of this thing. I'm a guest. I'm invited. But Mary said, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Interesting. My hour has not yet come. What hour? Well, the hour when he's supposed to show himself, begin to do these signs and miracles. And of course it was coming very quickly. But he said, my hour has not yet come. His mother as if to ignore what he was saying, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I tell you, that advice right there is for everybody for all of, all of eternity. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Why? He's never wrong. He never leads you astray. Whatever he's telling you to do, it is the right thing to do. Just trust him. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now were, now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. I mean, 20 to 30 gallons each. And there are six of them. So you're talking about, let's see, uh, talking about 120 gallons to 150 gallons. I mean, this is... This is, uh, or 180 gallons. This is a ton of water. And it says, And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it when the master of the feast had tasted the water, listen, that was made wine. So when exactly did it become wine? Was Was it wine already in the pots before somebody dipped out some to take to the master? Or did it become wine on the way to the master? Or when the master went to take a sip, did it become wine? We don't know. But notice this. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine uh, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. I mean, he stopped everything, called the bridegroom, come here, come here. And uh, he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus not only did this miracle of turning uh, hundreds uh, or uh, I should say dozens of gallons of water into wine, but he turned it into exceptional wine. Uh, Like wine, I'm not a wine drinker, so I don't really know much about it, but I do know that aged wine it can become much better and more expensive wine, especially if it started with good uh, juice. And so he said, you've saved the best wine until now. So this miracle, this sign caught the attention of the master of the ceremony and now the bridegroom. And so it says in verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Notice this is. This is one way that John mentioned in chapter 1 that we saw his glory, we beheld his glory. And here's a way that we see his glory, a miracle. Okay, And he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This miracle caused his disciples to believe in him even more than they already did. Now notice this beginning of signs. This, This clearly, I think, indicates to us that this is the first miracle that Jesus did. Well, that's important to note for several reasons. Number one, that Jesus was not doing miracles as a preschooler, as an elementary school student, as a teenager. No. As a, as one in his 20s, no, he didn't. He didn't do any signs or miracles until after the Holy Spirit had come upon him uh, at the baptism of John the Baptist. And he wasn't even anticipating starting yet until he began to go out and preach. So that's why he said, my hour has not come. But when Mary said, do whatever he says to do, well, now the power of God is on him. He was filled with the Spirit by this point. And now we see this amazing sign that happened to him. So uh, this first miracle happened. I love also that it happened at a wedding. God wants to do miracles at weddings. And wine is a symbol of, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and so we should want our weddings to be spirit-filled weddings, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes on not only the bride and groom but on the the whole congregation assembled there. But I would say especially the bride and groom. We want to start this wedding not just with doing a little ceremony so we can get to the honeymoon. No, let's let's bring Jesus right in the middle of our wedding our vows our marriage let's allow the fullness of the holy spirit this new wine of the holy spirit to fill this couple not not physical wine talking about spiritual wine so that we can start our marriage with the fullness of the life of jesus and the fullness of the spirit talk about a great marriage i mean you're on track to the best okay here we go verse 12 it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now, the Passover of the Jews and Jesus in his earthly ministry in that three-three and a half year period, he attended several Passovers, which happens once a year. And so it says, now the Passover of the uh, Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, why why does it say up to Jerusalem? So he's up there in Capernaum. Capernaum is right on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he travels south to go to Jerusalem. So why does it say, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem? So as I often like to point out, uh, if you were walking this terrain as Jesus and the disciples were doing, you know the difference between walking uphill and downhill. And uh, you would know that Jerusalem, being about 3,000 feet above sea level, when you go to Jerusalem, no matter from what direction, you know you're going up. So when they went up to Jerusalem, it says, uh, verse 14, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of course. Jesus did not just fly off the handle and get angry and lose his temper. Uh, uh-uh. No, when he had made a whip of cords, he calculated this. He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That was an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah to come. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you now show to us since you do these things? In other words, what gives you the right? I mean, uh, give us some kind of a sign that tells us, that shows us why you think you have the right to come in and just like take over the temple and decide what should and should not happen in the temple. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, he's now talking about the temple of his own body, not this magnificent temple that was built by King Herod. Uh, Verse 20, then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, when they saw the signs, so here are more signs, more miracles, when they saw the signs, which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man, and that's the end of chapter 2. But let me just sit on that last part, it says, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew what people were like, what was in their hearts, and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in them. Well, there's a lot going on in this context. And so let me just sit on this for a minute as we close out this chapter. And that is that the Jews at this time are under Roman oppression. The taxation is horrendous. And the the Jews really didn't care much about Uh, excuse me, the Romans really didn't care much about the Jews. They saw them as second-class citizens. The Romans are dominant. They believe they're the superior race, so to speak, the superior people. But they want the Jews to, they're not trying to destroy them all, but they want them to pay money. They want them to work and to bring money taxation into the Roman government, which some of it will eventually get to Rome. And so this is part of how Rome keeps dominion over all the various nations and people groups that are part of the Roman Empire now. See, And so these Jewish people, I mean, they would be looking for the Messiah to come, those who still really believe fervently that a Messiah would come. And so if they found out that the Messiah was here, they would want to take Jesus, try to make him king, try to get him to begin a revolt against the Romans, because if you're the Messiah, you have the help of God. And so therefore, you're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. Well, Jesus knew that, yeah, this, this domination is going to happen at the second coming, but not the first. The first, he's here to bring uh, fulfillment to the covenant of the Jews to, for them to see that salvation through the covenant of Abraham, has come in the form of the Messiah to die, to be raised from the dead, to bring forgiveness of sins, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring answers to prayer, etc., etc. But Jesus also knew that they would try to rush the process and get him to do what will not be fulfilled until the second coming. And this is also why Jesus, often when he would heal somebody, would say, uh, don't tell anybody. Don't say anything to anybody. Why? Because he was not trying to popularize himself to get everybody to come and to try to make him king. No, he was coming to establish the kingdom of God. He was coming to bring answers to prayers. He was coming to show the people that God is here to keep his promises. All the covenant of Abraham is still in play and God is fulfilling his covenant. But he wasn't trying to gain popularity so that they would put him up as the king or as the messiah in this first coming so he knew that this was in human beings that they would try to do these things they would try to listen if i could say it like this they would try to politicize what he was doing and make make it something political make it something a revolt of a revolt against the leadership that was currently in power and jesus was intentionally trying to avoid all of that and yet minister to the people, yet relate to the people, yet teach the people, yet bring the people's hearts around to their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Oh, I just love how John is portraying Jesus and bringing things out, as we mentioned in chapter one, that are unique and different than any of the other three Gospels. All right, that's chapter two. I look forward to the famous John chapter three in which is John three 16. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give.